Hi, and welcome to the How Are You Doing podcast. My name is Kim LeClaire, and I will be your host today. April 22nd, 2020, Earth Day, in fact. I started this almost a month ago, maybe longer. It's hard to tell. Time is in a warp. Um, we are still in the middle of <laughs> the unprecedented time. Um, coronavirus, COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2 has swept through the world and as science and medicine attempt to catch up with the virus, we have all been at home, or many of us have been at home. Um, all kinds of challenges that you know about, so we don't need to go into that. The seed kernel of this podcast was really, back in the beginning, me seeing that people wanted to sort of do things like be distracted from what was happening, but I was wanting to dig a little bit deeper and take some time to really talk through, you know, what does this really mean <clears throat> now and in the future? So that was really where the idea of this podcast was born to just ask people that I know and just sort of talk through, you know, and the, and that's the name of the podcast. Very simple. How are you doing? Like starting with that question, just how are you doing? So done a few of these. It certainly has been an interesting time, continues to be every day is said in the beginning it was a cycle through of just reactions and emotions and that that cycling continues um it's just it's really a um a shockingly astonishing time to be living through um and there's been all kinds of astonishing things in human history i suppose so um <clears throat> but today i have a guest who has i think some very smart things to say about this so um I've invited my friend Lisa Dinhofer to be on the podcast today. I met Lisa through The Right Company, which is an online community we're part of. And so I want to thank Lisa for being here. And so hello, Lisa. Hey. How hey. Are you? Good. So we're going to start off with the question. So how are you doing? So I take that question always very literally and <laughs> to the moment. Um, and so really how I'm doing is what I'm noticing right now is a lot of fatigue, a mm -hmm. lot of mental fatigue that is playing itself out, I think physically also, but just general fatigue, which I know through my work, um, you know, is a result of, uh, chronic stress when, when you are in some kind of stressor mode, survival mode for an extended period of time, particularly consecutively, uh, it really tires out your brain. I think I, I read somewhere that at, at about day 25 of a chronic stress, um, it begins to diminish your resilience if you're, if you're not really paying attention. So I think I'm, I'm just tired. Yeah. So I want to, to um, tell it just, if you would like, tell us a little bit about your current situation. So where you are, where you're living, who you're living with, and then for you, I also like to, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Because sure. it feels so relevant here. Sure. So I live just out of, uh, outside of D.C. in a suburb of Maryland. So I'm right smack in the D.C. metro area, which is always um, in terms of media and government, it's always an intense place to be. Um, 
I am a consultant. Um, I've been working for myself in my own consulting firm for 16 years. Um, and, you know, I've always worked from home. So working from home is, th there's no adaptive challenge there for me. The adaptive challenge is that uh, whilst I do a lot of virtual work and coaching and consulting and all that, I had already done that. Um, I was also traveling a lot to different clients around the country. And of course, I'm, I'm not doing that now. And honestly, I don't miss getting on those planes. I, had, I was about done with that whole nonsense anyway. So I'm thrilled to be offering my services virtually. It's, it's a lot easier on me physically and I think emotionally not having to do the whole airline, hotel, you know, right. deal. A lot of stress involved in that and I've been doing that you know since 2000 so there's an accumulated stressor with that so in that sense um, it's been an, a really nice change um, so you know what I've been noticing throughout this and we talked a little bit about this last week which I think is why you wanted me to do this podcast with well, you. Well, I wanted you to do it because I wanted to know how you're doing and I like oh. you. But I also they just did for context Lisa and I had a call last week and she said some things that I just thought were so so spot on and the thing I think what you didn't say there is your whole your work is about grief, trauma, crisis, trauma informed leadership. I mean it the crisis tamer is a tagline that you've been using this is sort of your universe a little bit so yeah very much so what i want to say here yeah what, what i do essentially is i mentor companies and individuals uh through crisis and trauma i mentor companies through really serious disruptive events like active shooters this covid 19 situation something that's very disruptive, uh, the death of an employee, scandal, bullying and sexual harassment, things that really impact workplaces, leadership, people at all levels. I mentor companies and individuals within those companies to get through that for the purpose of um, regaining stability, creating a new normal, and building resilience. And whenever you go through a disruptive event, those three things are critical to your well-being and being able to move the needle forward, right? So yes, this whole um, virus situation is kind of tailor-made for what it is I do and what I've been doing for a, a very long time. By training, I'm, I'm a thanatologist. I'm a certified thanatologist, which is someone that specializes in loss and grief from loss, both death-related and non-death-related losses. I have a subspecialty in trauma, um, but I, I, I'm also a trained counselor and a trained mediator and a communication specialist. I really specialize in how to have those very difficult conversations that can involve death notification, terminating employees, uh, having to announce reduction in force, and there's going to be a lot of aftermath issues in that. So, mm -hmm. um, so thank you. Yeah, so that's, so you've all this background. We're all new to this. This isn't necessarily so new to you. And last week when we were 
talking, you talked about three phases that you were noticing. So I'm dying for you to say that again and for us to have it recorded. <laughs> well, I definitely want to, my, my wishes, your, your wishes. Might yeah. be, so. Um, so yeah, I've been, what I've been noticing is that this entire crisis, um, I think I can, um, operationalize it into three phases. And the first phase was the complete shock and disorientation and fear uh, when this started encroaching on us. And then it really uh, began resulting in a lot of um, death and very serious illness and our hospitals being overwhelmed. And I have a 20 year background in a very unique area of healthcare. So I understand hospital life and what's going on there. And it really is as bad as what you're hearing in, in the press. So that first phase was all about the, the fear and the shock and the confusion and the disorientation and the disbelief. Is this really happening? Can this, how could this happen here? This happens in other places. It doesn't happen. You know, everybody just kind of um, feeling as though, they had the rug pulled out from under them and they'd hit their head. So phase two, what I've noticed is now the fatigue of coping and the fatigue of supporting. And it is very much like um, what folks in my field called a non-finite loss or a non-death loss, right? It is a major loss that doesn't have anything to do with physical death, but and for some people obviously it is in this, but all the non-death losses, the, the loss of our everyday life as we knew it before, the way we can connect, if we can connect, um, you know, just going to the store to buy food, all these things that we really didn't consider before that we kind of took for granted now. Uh, a lot of thought has to go into that and we've got to wear masks and gloves and disinfect and, 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 and it's, it's a big thing. And I, what I began noticing when we went into phase two is this, just the exhaustion. And in a finite, a non-finite loss or non-death loss, the two chief characteristics of that loss is coping fatigue for the person going through that loss and support fatigue for the people around that person going through that loss. And this is a very unique crisis in that this is not a discrete event right? You know, September 11th and, and the first time, you know, the World Trade Centers got bombed in 93. I happened to work in the tower that was bombed at that time. And I was still working in New York City on September 11th. Those were discrete events, right? It happens. And then as soon as, as it's over, um, we got, start going into the recovery phase. Well, this is not a discrete event. The crisis is continuing. The crisis is this very long kind of crisis in suspension event that's not discrete and it, it, it's non-finite. We, we don't really see an end at the tunnel. We, we know what we would like that to look like, but we don't have a date, obviously. And what's unique about this is that we know from previous pandemics, particularly 1918, that these things tend to reemerge again later in the year and, and come back even harder. That's what happened in 1918. And this is, this is emulating that pandemic in, in, in several ways. So the, that non-discrete event is, is, is even more expanded with the notion that this might be coming. So there's, there's a real fatigue in that. And 
in, in coping and supporting, and we're all doing both of those things, right? We're, we're supporting each other, and we're also coping, and, and I think we're just getting mentally tired, physically tired, and we know from the research, chronic stress results in exhaustion, right? And so the brain is very interesting in that when it detects emotional pain, it registers the, way, the same way it does physical pain. And when you're in physical pain or emotional pain, it causes exhaustion. And this is a chronic stress or wonder. So now I see us going into a phase three. And I think there are going to be three responses in the phase three. And I, and I really think we're there now. Those three responses, um, and it's not that everybody will have these responses, but you might find yourself in one or more of these buckets within this phase. Um, rebellion, right? People just not being able to self-regulate any longer. Anger, rebellion, um, reactivity. We're seeing that, right? The protests are... Yeah, we're, we're, we're absolutely seeing that in a grand scale, you know, in, in cities where there are protests and also in our own homes or communities. Like, I can't do this anymore. I'm sick of this. You know, yeah. so that reactivity and that, and that rebellion... Uh, the second response that I'm seeing within this third phase is despair. It's like for those people who the, the air has been let out of the balloon, they're just exhausted. They've got nothing left to, to meet this. It's just despair. Um, not a lot of hope for the future. Constantly seeking hope in the media and then what they're reading in the media and, and their overexposure to in the media is just exacerbating that situation for them rather than them going within to, to find that they're still going external to themselves. And then the third response in this phase three is those who are developing resilience. And resilience within the research is defined both by um, being able to adapt to challenges, but also uh, some define it as thriving. And I definitely see that in some people. Um, they are welcoming the forced slowing down. They're not in commuter traffic every day anymore. Um, a lot of the distractions and things that they used to do is shut down. So they're forced to be still, right? And they're And they're finding value in that. And, and they're finding... Um, that to be a great de-stressor. Now, those people who are in that space, I think, are those who are not experiencing extreme financial mm -hmm. hardship, right? So in a sense, they have the luxury to enjoy um, the, the slowing down and not driving into work and, and, and all of that. But even still with financial stressors, the thing about resilience building is that it happens in the middle of a stressor, not in the absence of it. So there are people who are going to react and rebel. There are people that are just going to kind of fall into a despair, and I think it's going to trigger a lot of depression um, with people um, and, and those who are going to uh, find resilience um, regardless of what challenges or the constellation of challenges that they're dealing with. So that's kind of what I'm, I'm seeing, and I'm starting to have a think about is there a phase four? And I, and I do think there will be a phase four in that once we are given the go-ahead 
where we're going to be able to open up in our respective areas again, meaning stores are going to open and we're going to be able to resume some semblance of what we call normal life. That's going to be a very different phase too, because a phase also, because I, I see a cohort of people that are going to be still very afraid of contracting the virus because testing is not be me. where it needs to be. <laughs> yeah. And those people are going to like run out and say, Oh my God, I, I, I can't wait. And so I think that there's going to be a schism in our communities um, in, in dealing with the rollout of, is it really safe or not? Yeah. There's so thank you. There's so much in this, just like there's so many different questions I have. One is just, it's a kind of a non sequitur, but Oh, well, um, so I find myself doing so much of what, oh my dog, there's so much of what I would call trying to sense making. Yep. What is that? Why does my mind keep trying to like rash, make sense? Like that's what's happening and I can feel it and it's a little bit agonizing. Well, that's a very common response to uh, being thrown into an unexpected crisis or an unexpected loss and it's actually a sign that you're actively coping. When we seek meaning making about something that is happening to us that seems larger than we are um, or that we are powerless up against, we actively try to create meaning around this so that we can create some kind of sense making. And so people trying to understand why this is happening to us um, and all the various reasons that people will come up with in terms of that need to find a meaning. That's actually a really good sign, right? It, it, it's like, I'm, it's what I find myself doing is trying to, it's like wanting to, wanting to, sort of find some stable ground. Like that's yes. what I, it's like, I want to, I want to like, like I want to make a plan. I find myself yes. actively trying to, it's like, it's like attempting to bring the ambiguity into more right. stable territory. And what you're talking about is your attempt to try to manage, manage or put a leash around the uncertainty, right? Mm -hmm. And people in the West, in Western cultures like art, we do not like uncertainty. We live and die by maps and by plans <laughs> and by to-do lists. Yeah. And we insist on, ins on, you know, certainty, which is really folly because what we don't realize is that every single day when we wake up, we're really dealing with uncertainty because we don't know before this pandemic and when the pandemic is over, we never know what's really going to happen in the day, right? It's, it's true. Yeah. It's, just, it's maddening. It's like my rational mind knows that. Like I go like, yes, I never knew it was going to happen anyway. That's, right. That's always been true. So much of what's happening has always been true, but yet it doesn't feel that way. So it's what you're so talking strange. about, well, what you're talking about is something called, you know, the shattering of the assumptive world. We, we all have an assumptive world and that is the kind of mythology that we tell ourselves 
so that when we get up every morning and we get dressed and we go out into the world, which is really a very dangerous place, it always has been a dangerous place, that we will be safe because, and we have all these things, you know, I'm nice to old people and I eat my broccoli and I wear my seatbelt and, you know, I have all my ducks in a row. So I know that bad things happen to other people, but they're really not going to happen to me. Right. And uh, some tenets of the assumptive world is that we overestimate the number of positive events or responses that we'll get in our life and we underestimate the, the negative. And, you know, working in um, a, a high mortality area of uh, the healthcare sector for many years, I worked with families who were, you know, very unexpectedly thrown onto ICU units and and having to make um, end of life decision making when they did not wake up at all thinking that that was going to happen, and so I saw that shattering of the assumptive world play out all the time. It's very disorienting, and it's it that mythology that we weave that that we really have this kind of control that we really never had, um, and because big events like this pandemic um, did not come in and remind us of that. We kind of go along in our cheerful way in that mythology until something happens. And it can be the death of a loved one in, in a very unexpected way or a traumatic way. It can be, you know, the, the receiving of a terrible diagnosis. It can be the loss of a job. It can be a pandemic. Something big comes into our world that creates external demands that exceed internal resources, right? And so our assumptive world is shattered. And the thing that's so frightening about that is we realize that it could happen again because we, we're reminded of the lack of control versus the control we thought we had. And so your efforts towards this meaning-making is really normal responses to the shattering of that assumptive world and trying to regain some stability because if we can make sense of something then then we can kind of get get ourselves sourced again and it it's a human being's way of adapting to a, an outsized stressor and and we are in an adaptive challenge place right now yeah i think it's just it's what i just so think so much of what you have to say is so important because it's, People need to know this because if you don't know it, I mean, I, you know, you, I mean, I'm machinating on this thing and then I get really attached to my thoughts and, you know, this, I mean, it's, you know, this is happening for however, I mean, 300 million people in this right. country, 300, I mean, millions, billions of people yes. <laughs> are going through this, right? I mean, it's mind blowing. Well, that's and the other thing also that makes this so unusual and that usually when we experience a crisis, it's our crisis, right? Right. You know, our loved one died, but the rest of the world is going on. Or, you know, in September 11th, yes, I was in New York City, but the rest of the world was not, right? So it affected the world, but those of us in New York City, we were the ones, you know, or Pennsylvania or D.C., they were really affected now this issue, the same issue, is impacting the entire world at the same time simultaneously. So it's creating some very unusual conditions within a crisis, some of which are extremely challenging and others are really very beneficial. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like what's the beneficial ones? Well, the thing is that now everybody, you know, that saying, welcome to my world. Well, we're all in <laughs> our world now, right? Yeah. So it's not as though the fact that if you can't pay your rent or you can't get to your job or you can't get to your loved one, that challenge, those stressors are being shared by everybody. It's not just you, right? And so the accommodations that are being made for that in terms of uh, cities not allowing the discontinuation of utilities, you know, utilities can't get cut off right now and those kinds of things. So it gives you kind of a break if you are experiencing financial hardship because now everybody's going to get that break. It's not just you and you don't have to explain yourself and you don't have to feel shamed. I can't pay my bills. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's happening for everyone. Um, being fearful of going outside. Um, that's everybody <laughs> or, or most people. Right. So we are simultaneously experiencing the challenges of this, which creates community around this whole issue. Right. You don't have yeah. to really explain yourself because people are, are also wearing your shoes. Now, I think one of the issues that's complicating this situation is what we've been dealing with for many years now, an extreme level, and that's called confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. Confirmation bias is when we believe something not because only we think it's true, but we need to believe it's true, right? So we will only get our information from certain sources. And if we watch a source that contradicts what we think we know, we won't watch that source or right. we'll Absolutely. find something wrong. We'll, we'll discredit that source, right? So it's yeah. not just truth or facts. It's what we need to believe even in the face of incontrovertible evidence to the opposite, right? So we've been in that extreme confirmation bias for some time now. And now that is becoming a critical factor because a pandemic is all about medical information and what to do with that information so we can strategize and protect ourselves and mitigate. And if you or other people don't believe the information, don't believe experts. People have you know, way more experience with this because you question their allegiance or whatever. We're, we're all now at greater risk because of that confirmation bias than if that was not going on. And I think if you compare culturally what was happening in the US during the pandemic of 1918 with what's happening now, you would probably find a far greater degree of confirmation bias now than you did then. And there was more collective compliance and cooperation. Mm -hmm. you know, that pandemic wiped out 656,000 Americans. Right. Right. And the first time it showed up, you know, it came and went quickly. And when it came back, it came back with a vengeance. And some cities did not go into that social distancing. And they had an enormous spike in their death rate versus the cities that right. went along with social uh, distancing. So there was that lesson. But it's what you want to believe, right? There's so much. I mean, you know, 
I think what's in my mind is, you know, I think about, you know, right now, like just let's, and it's a, a gross generalization because there's a lot of individual difference in people, but <clears throat> people that are protesting, you know, open back up. And I think about, you know, one of the questions and that I, I've been thinking about a lot of this is like, what might change? You know, this is part of my sense making, mm -hmm. but it's like, I wish, because when I see, when I hear you talking about what we're trying, we're all trying to do this, no matter what confirmation biases we have, we're trying to make sense of what's happening. Yes. Yeah. So if we can, if when you see those people protesting and then you get on, you know, people are just like, what, you know, and all this negative stuff. It's like, can we, can we at least take one minute and say they're human? They're trying to make sense right. of this just like me. Right. Just exactly. like everyone. And so if, if, yeah. if all we could do is that, I, I, I mean, I think this stuff could get scary and weird and, mm -hmm momentarily all of us no matter what side of the aisle or you know what twitter feed you've got going you know can we see that everyone's trying to make sense it's just right. it's the common denominator right yes but we're the, doing the, it in different ways the challenge know? and the difference however is we we tend to diminish something we can't see so in those right. areas that have not had a hot spot and they've right. not had a lot of death and their health systems have not been overrun. Right. It is hard to wrap your mind around what is happening in New York City. Yeah. It's like it, it, New York City, it's like being on a different planet in, in those hospitals. And so if you've not experienced that and if you've not had a loved one die from that, or if you've not been sick yourself and you're literally gasping for air under extreme pain, Right. right. The, the, the challenge is to d d d just diminish that and say, well, yeah, some people will get sick, but we have to open the economy for money. And the, with, without really understanding what, wait a second, what, am, what am I actually saying? So am I actually saying that it's okay with me that some people, including children are going to get this and that's okay. And when people say that, they rarely include themselves right. or people yeah, that right. love, won't happen right? to them, right? It's that, it's that external, it's the almighty them, right? Yeah, right. Um, they, yeah. And to, to believe that if you live in a more rural area or you, you, you rationalize why you're safer and therefore why you should be able to do certain things than in other areas of the country without the humbling experience that an illness like a virus will find you. <laughs> it, it, it has amazing travel capacity and it will find you. And it's hard to grasp that level of lack of control. Right. So this is why exists. What I, I think that's, you know, it's, a, it's real. This, this, yes, it is. I mean, I, I mean, it sounds so dumb, but it's just this, this grasping for trying to make the unknown known. Right. So. And to rationalize to what we want to do if we're in that place of rebellion or if we're in right. that place of despair, you know, to, to rationalize, well, I, I need to do this or I should be able to do this because, you know, I can't take it anymore. This is where I am or everyone in my family is fine without mm -hmm. this real understanding that 
our power is in the collective and our well-being also protects somebody else's well-being it's not just about you and what's going on in your house in your particular family we're all connected in this because we are all potentially vectors so there's not any one of us that can't say what I do doesn't affect someone else because it does. Right. Oh, Lisa. Okay. So we got to wrap up, but I, I, what, here's a question I like to ask people. So what is something you're learning as part of all of this? Oh my God. Do you have a week? I mean, <laughs> that's a, that's a big, that I don't know if I could even answer that right now. Maybe I'll have to have a think and send it into yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> um, because that is um, that's a big question. I'm I'm seeing a lot. Um, some of which makes me very sad, but doesn't surprise me. Um, and other things that really do surprise me, um, like how quickly nature is rebounding when we're all at home. It, yeah. it is a truly amazing how quickly uh, wildlife and nature, our air quality, our water quality has improved in just the four months that we're kind of in a timeout. That's amazing to me how rapidly the repair is. And so you can imagine what might be if we were able to continue to mitigate our um, impact on, on the environment, still be able to go out and do our things, but do it differently so that it mitigates our negative impact so that we can continue to see an improvement in those very things that we need, air to breathe and water to drink. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for being here today, my friend, Lisa. Thank um, you for asking. It's been lovely. Yeah. Thank And Sorry about it. <laughs> Some noises. I'm still experimenting with the, uh, podcasting have not built my soundproof room yet but um <laughs> my um you know i think my hope is the same which is that if anybody is listening to this that somehow today you were connected with the truth of our shared humanity and in some way we're able to trust that none of us are alone in this no no it's all yeah even if we aren't connected physically so thank you so much my friend thank you thank you lovely to be on your podcast one second.